If you have your Bibles with you, please join me in Matthew 16. We're going to read the last verse there and go into Matthew 17 all the way to Matthew 17, 8. So we'll start in Matthew 16, verse 28. Tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came up and touched him. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. You know, there's something about glimpsing the gold that just makes a person come alive. It, it reminds them what they're there for, what they're doing, of, of what they're striving for. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So we've just entered a new season out in our squadron at Moody Air Force Base. And as all of you know, the seasons of our lives aren't limited to just, you know, fall, winter, spring, and summer. No, you know, we go through many seasons in our lives as we go through the mortal plane. You know, a, a season of life, such as, you know, getting married, figuring out how to, to live with another person, birth, like Hope and Luke are going to be going through now. Seasons of sickness, where, where you or a family member might go through an extended time of of sickness or pain or suffering. Seasons of caretaking where you, you spend your time caring for others, looking after the needs of children or seniors and, and spending your time with them for a season. So there's many seasons of life that we walk through and it will be coming in one season and out of the season and it's something that we're constantly moving from one to another. And, and so out at Moody, in our squadron, we're moving into a season of retirement. And, and all of a sudden, we're in the season where a lot of people in our squadron are ending their time in the workforce, and now they're looking forward to this new life and, and a new time where they can rest and, and relax, and it's just a season where they're able to enjoy the fruit of their labors and spend their, their golden years, you know, with their family and their friends. And, you know, we've got so many people in my office retiring right now. It's like every week we're at a retirement ceremony or a retirement party. And, and it's interesting watching how all of these people are preparing and getting ready for this season. My boss is in this season right now. And uh, he's getting ready to retire in the next few months. He's got his date circled on the calendar. And so he's getting ready. He's making repairs to his home. He's finishing up projects there. He's put a new deck on the back. He's getting his fishing dock ready. He's He's got his camper all tuned up and checked out. He just bought a vintage car, so he's doing everything he can. He wants that car completely 
restored and ready so that whenever he retires, he and his wife can take long trips in this car. And so his plan is to get everything ready and in perfect shape. So when he retires, when he enters this new season, there's nothing else for him to do. There's no repairs or anything he has to do except spend time with his wife and enjoy doing what he wants to do. So what's happened is he's got a glimpse of a goal. Now here, there's something he's looking forward to and he's striving for, it's something he's hoping for, and it's really invigorating. I mean, there's a bounce in his step and, and he's got new purpose and new meaning. He's excited about what this new season, what the future holds. And it's a perfect example of, of what I said when I opened up this message. There's something about a glimpse of a goal that just makes a person come alive. You ever watch the marathon? You know, that's a grueling race, 26.2 miles. And those people are, are just out there and uh, we're hours of running. But watch them when they see the finish line. Watch them when they can see ahead. They hear the crowds. They speed up. They can see it. They can glimpse it. And so they press on because they can see what's there. Well, there's something about glimpsing that goal, no matter what it is in your life, that just excites you and propels you into the future. And it reminds you of, of who you are and what you're living for and what you're doing. I mean, we all need those kind of goals in our life. And that goes for our spiritual lives as well as our secular lives. You know, to avoid getting just overcome by the cares and worries of this world, to avoid getting bogged down in life with what we're doing and what we're living for, we need to intentionally remember these goals ahead of us. So we can keep that goal in focus so it will help us to move forward, to, to be reminded of them so that we can be excited about where we're headed and know the direction we're going. You know, a good example of this, think about what it was like when you first got saved. You remember when you first received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Remember how excited you were? I mean, you're just on fire for Jesus. You're ready to tell everybody about Jesus. When you first get saved and you get this glimpse of eternal life with him, I mean, it's like you can't hold a new Christian back. They're telling everybody at the grocery store and everybody at the restaurant. I mean, there is a sense of purpose and urgency. And you just want to love on everybody and love everybody in the heaven because it's a wonderful place. And you're like, just look, look where we're going. Let's go, everybody, come on. And, and that's what it's like to have that goal. But what happens to most of us? Life. Life gets in the way. And, and religion comes in. And, and all of a sudden, we're, we're going that direction, but then it's like a cloud or a shadow gets in front of us, and we can't see that goal anymore. We don't know where we're headed. And that initial flush of energy and excitement just kind of just kind of drains away a little bit. And you, your relationship with Christ just kind of becomes a, a, a perfunctory duty that you do come to church because it's Sunday. You say your morning prayers because that's what you do is you read your Bible. And, it, and, and we have forgotten what used to excite us. We've forgotten what used to inspire us. And we lose that sense of urgency and purpose we once had. And, and you know it. People know it whenever something's missing. Churches know it. That's why all these churches schedule revivals. They schedule revivals because they know something's missing. They schedule revivals because they've lost a feeling that was there. They've lost that fire. They've lost their first love, and they want it back. 
But you can schedule revival so the cows come home and nothing's ever going to change. The only way that we're ever going to truly revive our churches and revive our hearts and reignite our passion is to remember the purpose for which we were called. To get a glimpse of that goal again. To remember that's where we're going and to get excited about it and to move on with everybody else. And that's what this passage is about here in Matthew 16, 28-17, 9. It's a passage that we call the Transfiguration. And today is Transfiguration Sunday in the church. And so what's really going on here is Jesus is giving the leaders of the disciples a glimpse of the goal. He's given them a vision of the future that they can hold on to, that they can use to inspire them and to revive them, give them purpose and hope and direction so they can grab everybody else and lead everybody with them to the finish line. That's what's going on. So look back at, at verse 28, Matthew 16, 28. This is Jesus speaking here. So I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the transfiguration occurs sometime before Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? And, and so Jesus isn't talking about that here. He's not talking about coming into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and everybody yelling at him. He's talking about the disciples seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom at another time. And it's followed right after this by the actual passage of the Transfiguration. So I think that's what it's referring to. And you got to remember, this is a time of confusion for his disciples. You know, they've been with Jesus for about three years now, and they really don't know who Jesus is. They don't really understand him. Now, Peter has a little bit more understanding than the rest, at least from time to time. And earlier over in chapter 16, Peter offers that great confession that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter still doesn't understand what he's saying. He's still envisioning a Christ, a Messiah, who's going to be an earthly king, who's, who's going to run the Romans out of Israel, who's going to restore the kingdom of David. He doesn't understand the real reason why Jesus has come, or who Jesus really is. And that's why when, when Jesus tells his disciples later that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die at the hands of chief priests, Peter says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. Because what Jesus was saying didn't fit with the image that Peter had of the Jews of who the Messiah was. So Jesus is about to give Peter, James, and John a glimpse of the gold. A glimpse of the real Messiah, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So they can correct those misunderstandings of who the Messiah was, who Jesus was, so they can lead his church after his death and resurrection. So look at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So these three went with Jesus and they went up on top of a high mountain by themselves. And some people wonder why Jesus did carry everybody with him. I mean, why not carry all twelve? And we don't really know why for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. We do know these three became the leaders of the early church. And, 
And Jesus may have chosen them specifically for that purpose. Because they needed to see him coming in his kingdom. They needed to see his glory. If they were going to lead the church through the initial sufferings and persecutions they were going to face. I do believe one reason he chose them is there are only three out of the twelve that were ready to see him as he was. These are the three that truly believed he was the Son of God. They may not have understood completely. I mean, none of us understand completely. But they believed. They had faith. They trusted him. They were seeking the truth. They were seeking God's face. And their faith was rewarded because of it. That's the question for us then. And it's kind of the question I was bringing up earlier. Are we seeking God as he is? Do we desire to see his glory and his kingdom? Is our focus on Christ and his glory? Is our focus on the world around us? Chuck Swindoll writes about vertical perception. And he says in order to see Christ, in order to envision who he is to get a glimpse of the goal that's set before us, you have to look up. You have to look up vertically. You have to believe. You have to act on your beliefs like Peter, James, and John did. Verse 2. There he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Okay, Matthew said Jesus was transfigured. The Greek word that's translated here is literally metamorphosis, a change in form. And so we read that, that Jesus' face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light. But this isn't just a physical transformation. Jesus took on a whole different form. He was metamorphosed. He was changed from being a man in appearance to appearing in his glorified form. Peter, James, and John witnessed the man that they knew, the man they'd been following for three years. They saw him become something else completely. For the first time in their lives, they saw Jesus as he truly was, wrapped in all his heavenly glory. At that moment, everything they thought they knew about Jesus was just stripped bare. This wasn't the Galilean carpenter, rabbi, and teacher they knew. This wasn't just a first century Jew that they thought might one day become the earthly king that would get rid of the Jews, uh, the Romans. This wasn't the guy who just sat around the fire with them at night. I mean, all of a sudden, everything about Jesus changed. His clothes, his features, his appearance, his very being. It just emanated from him. They weren't looking at Jesus the man anymore. They were looking at Jesus, God. And their vision had been clear. They would never look at him in the same way again. They'd been given a glimpse of Jesus as he truly was, how he existed in his kingdom. And they knew that was their goal. That was their reason for living. That was their purpose in life. To follow him and to be with him for eternity. That's what's so important about this transfiguration. To verse 3. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Matthew tells us that Moses and Elijah, all of a sudden, they appeared on the mountain with Jesus, 
And then Peter, James, and John saw them standing there talking to each other. I mean, why? Why did Moses and Elijah all of a sudden show up? Isn't the real thing, I mean, isn't the important thing that Jesus was now standing before them transfigured in his heavenly glory? I mean, who cares about Moses and Elijah? Well, they're there for a reason. You see, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. For Peter, James, and John, as, as Jewish men in the first century, their former vision of who God was was based on two things. Their idea of who God was and what God was supposed to do and how God was supposed to act was based on the law of Moses and the revelations from God to the prophets. But you see, over the years, the true image of God that was revealed in the law and by the prophets, it had gotten blurred. It's like shadows and clouds had covered it. And in life and experience and religion changed how the people saw it and how the people understood it. And why do you think the Pharisees missed seeing Jesus as the Messiah when he was here? Because Jesus wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They made up their minds on, on who the Messiah was going to be and what he would look like and what he would do. And Jesus showed up and he didn't fit any of those boxes. He wasn't who they were looking for, so they rejected so the significance of Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus at Transfiguration is to just really bring home to those disciples that the, the God they're seeing now, the person Jesus they're seeing now, isn't just Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the real Messiah, the real God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. So, if the disciples didn't get the message by this point, God's about to punctuate the lessons here. God the Father descends upon that mountaintop. And think about it from the standpoint of these three Jewish disciples right here. In the Old Testament, time and time again, you'll see the presence of God descend upon the mountain where the nation of Israel is gathered in a cloud. And so this cloud descends, and the very voice of God proclaims to these terrified disciples, This is my son. Listen to me. In other words, the Father is making sure that Peter, James, and John got the message. The, the Jesus who was standing before them now, that's the real Jesus. The true Jesus. The Jesus who has been stripped of all worldly affectations. This was the image they were supposed to keep in their mind. This was the goal that was given to them to inspire them and invigorate their lives. This was the goal they were to follow. This is who they're supposed to preach and proclaim in the world. This is the Jesus they were supposed to worship. Not the man they thought they knew, not the Messiah they had been longing for, but this Jesus, the real deal. This was who they were to seek from now on when they looked in the face of Jesus. Verse 7. 
Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. The heart of this passage comes to an end here in verse 8. They saw no one except Jesus. All those layers of life and experience and religion that had clouded their vision, everything Satan had put upon their eyes, that had all been removed. Just like the scales that were removed from Paul's eye whenever Ananias put his hands on him after the road to Damascus, their eyesight had been restored. Now they could see Jesus. They saw no one and nothing other than Jesus. If you know what you're seeking, if you know what you're striving for, then it comes real to you. Your life has direction and meaning and purpose. That's what happened to Peter, James, and John. You know, they went up that mountain confused. They didn't know what was real. They didn't know who this Jesus really was. They didn't know where they were headed. They didn't understand what Jesus was going to do. But they came down that mountain changed with a vision of heaven and a vision of Jesus glorified in his kingdom. It was that vision that led them to endure hardship and persecution. Remember, all three of these men died a martyr's death. Well, except John, I'm sorry. But, but Peter and, uh, and James died a martyr's death. It was that vision that led them. It was that vision that led them to build his church on earth. It was that vision that gave their lives meaning and purpose. There's a hymn in our books that you might be familiar with. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It's an old Irish hymn we sometimes sing. And I'll share with you a couple stanzas that really speak to this. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Naught be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my life. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure, thou art. This hymn speaks to what we've been looking at today in this passage. When we know who it is that we serve, when we have that vision of Christ glorified in our hearts, when we have a glimpse of him and of the goal before us, then nothing else matters. He is our all in all. He is our inheritance, our goal, our reason, our purpose, our meaning, the treasure that we seek. So as we close today, I want to encourage you, go to the Mount of Transfiguration this week. Spend some time with Jesus. Renew your heart. Refresh your heart. Refresh your vision. Revive your life. Spend some time in the Psalms. You know, reflect on the passages that the psalmist just pours out praise for God in all his glory and splendor. Ask Jesus to show you his glory this week. Give you a vision of who he is, what he has in store for us. So that we can keep persevering in his name and continue on until we reach that goal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving the disciples a glimpse of your son glorified in their presence. Father, we ask that you would just reach out to us and let us see your glory today. 
that you would let us see your glory this week, that as we leave here, Lord, you would let us glimpse the goal and the prize that is before us. Help us, Lord, to know you, to look past the cares and worries of this world and the trappings of religion and to see you high and lifted up, to see you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to remember where we're going so that we can be excited about going there with others. We ask this in Jesus' holy and mighty name.